Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. My guest today is Simon Palomares. Before we get to Simon, I do have a few announcements. First and foremost, our website is TravelTalesPodcast.com. Go there. See photos of our guests. See links to their social media and websites. See stories that I've written and stories that some of the guests have written. See links to our social media. There's links to our Facebook page, links to Instagram, which is Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram. We're Travel Tales Pod on Twitter. You'll see links for Stitcher Radio and Apple Podcasts. And we're also on Spotify. We're really wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe. And please remember to give us a good rating because that boosts our presence on there and helps more people find the show. So if you can do that, I would appreciate it. Hey, you want to write me? Got questions about travel? Maybe you want to say nice things. Maybe you think you'd be right for the show or know someone who would be right for the show. Either way, you can write me at TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. That's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. All right, this is a long episode. I know it. You know it. You've probably looked at your phone or wherever you get this and you're like, wow, that seems like a long episode. It is. I considered breaking it up into two different episodes, but you know what? That seemed like a lot of work. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. And hey, the beauty of this technology is you can stop it anytime you want. Start it up again. You can jump off, jump on. Although I do like to keep the shows under uh, an hour if I can. This conversation with Simon kind of lasted a while because uh, I was interested. And I hadn't seen him in a while. And it was good to hear from him. And I was talking to him all the way on the other side of the world. He's in Australia. And I met Simon through another entertainer on a cruise ship. I had uh, worked and... We disembarked in Melbourne. She was an Aussie and said, come out and meet some of my friends. One of them's a comedian, and that was Simon. I keep wanting to call him Simon, his Spanish name, Simon Palomares. But uh, when he moved, he was actually uh, born in Germany, raised in Spain, and as a kid, moved to Australia. So he has been around the world from the jump, from the start. And although he's straddled Europe and Australia, he's really an Aussie through and through. And a very successful one. He had a uh, sitcom that ran for a while in Australia. He's very successful. And he started doing cruises about nine years ago and was very successful at that. And like me, his world ended with COVID. (laughs) Uh, So both of us find ourselves with a lot of time off. But before all this happened... Simon still found the time to direct a documentary in Cuba about stand-up comedy and how it's taken off in Cuba. The film is called Latigo, L-A-T-I-G-O, which is Spanish for whip. It's making the rounds at festivals right now. Sounds very interesting. But there's a lot that's interesting about Simon. And we talk about uh, lockdown in Australia and how successful they are at it and how unsuccessful we here in the States are at it. (laughs) And... uh, I was jealous a lot. I love Australia, and I love their uh, healthcare system, <laughs> and I'm very jealous of a lot of things about, uh, about Down Under. And I can't wait to go back, first chance I get. Of course, I can't wait to go anywhere, first chance I get. But nevertheless, Simon is a very interesting guy, so we had a lot to talk about, and I liked uh, listening to him. 
And thanks to the magic of technology and Zoom, we could speak, we could see each other and catch up. And you can listen to it. And full disclosure, we recorded this back on November 18th. So we do talk about some, uh, some stuff in the news uh, concerning COVID and lockdowns and things like that that may have changed since then. So just putting that out there. So I hope you're all staying safe, washing your hands, and let's look forward to a much better 2021. Here's my conversation with Simon Palomares. I was ready to go, Simone. I was I was totally ready. It's always uh, it's always Simon over here. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so it depends on where, even, even, yeah, even when I go to Spain, they go, is it Simon or Simon or Simon? Um, so I think they get, they get a bit of a kick from, from using an English, an English name over there. Right. So I was trying to, I'm good. I was telling people how we met and it was through Van An, Win Win. Yes. Am I saying? And we were in Anyone. Melbourne. Yeah. And you were there. We were both doing ships at the same time. And, uh, as we know, these are, uh, Ships are not going now. That 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 past life that we had. <laughs> uh, How many years were you doing ships? I was doing. I did about four. I did nine. Okay. I was uh, I was the uh, the first Australian comic on a carnival ship. Wow. Um, so I was I was in the uh, sort of the maiden voyage when the spirit came to Australia because and that's how and that's how it happened that they, they rang me up and they said and they said hey listen would you be interested I had done one other ship which. I had absolutely uh, no um, uh, no need to actually go back to. Um, it was also through uh, two or three different agents. Um, anyway, I just sort of came back out of it, going looking at the money and all that sort of thing, and I just went, "This is not really worth uh, worth my trouble." So I forgot. So I totally forgot about it. And then um, there was a new agent in Melbourne, and he rang me up and said, "Hey, listen, there's a a." a cruise line starting up in Australia and um, uh, it's got its own comedy club. And I went, oh, that's interesting. And, uh, and I was sort of at a very weird uh, you know, period in, uh, in my life where my parents had passed away and my kids were growing up. So I was sort of like trying to work out where, where things were going, were going next. Um, and uh, uh, there were very few, if any, uh, Australian comedians, you know, doing ships because we didn't have that sort of culture over here at that point. Uh, and, you know, as you probably felt when you started doing ships, it was like where comedians go to die. Yeah. That would thing. Yeah, yeah. They, they told uh, me, somebody saw me on a TV show and they called me up and said, would you be interested in doing ships? And I said, well, to myself, not till I'm 60 or whatever, you know, yeah. or 70. I mean, that's what, yeah. typically that was the end of the road, man. That yeah. was, that yeah. was it. And you, and you, and you know, and I, and I met a couple of those comedians, like who had been doing ships for a long time. And I, and I did make a mental note to myself that I wasn't going to be one of them. <laughs> right. Because I found them, I did find them a bit, a bit sad, you know, the, the old comedian who, who just basically ends up working on ships and, 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 you know, until basically one day, one day they just, they just die. And, um, uh, and, uh, of course we then, you came in a bit later, but what happened is that there was hardly anybody that the, the carnival ships needed four comedians per cruise. There was hardly anybody, there was just barely enough four comedians to actually do, 
so they they kept and I was getting very good very good ratings on um, on on those ships and basically they kept calling me for that whole first year every cruise so I was going home for about like four days you know and doing back to backs and and all that sort of thing I mean a lot of the crew didn't even realize that I had gone home you know they just hadn't seen me around the <laughs> ship for a few days and and what it did is it just it just gave me for a start for a start I was working with people that had never heard of me I mean I had I had my own sitcom in Australia and and all that sort of thing and um, uh, so it was it was interesting to sort of be in an environment where nobody knew you from from a bar of soap and and so everybody was was meeting you on a first time basis I was working with people from all over the world I was working with very young people I was working in an environment where where age didn't matter uh, where background where color didn't matter um, and uh, uh, you know I sort of I sort of lost myself in it and um, and it became my my home for about for about a year um, and uh, and the other thing was that one year uh, and I started, I started writing a novel about that year because it was such a uh, it was it was a quintessential year for a lot of people. A lot of young, a lot of Australian performers started working on that ship, who had been sort of like stagnating around around the trap. You've got to realise that Australia is is the size of uh, almost the United States, and we have twenty two million people in the country. I know that's the thing that always got me every time I went there. The first time I went there, it was just like so much of it in the cities remind me of certain cities in America. But the big difference yeah. is there's no people. There's nobody around. There's nothing, there's, there's nothing. There's nothing in between. Yeah, and it's great yes. because as you go to a city like a little town like Byron Bay, I remember yeah. when I went up there and I'm thinking, God, if this was in America, it would be overrun with hotels and t-shirt shops and golf courses and amusement parks and just too much. Oh, but that's and, the Gold Coast. That's the Gold Coast. Yeah, right. Well, that's only <laughs> yeah. that one little one little section, yeah. like Surfers Paradise or something. Yeah, I said, okay, this looks that's, like you know Florida yeah. or whatever, but. Yeah. Uh, but there are no like cool little towns like that that are so beautiful and not overrun with you know, expensive hotels and everything else. And no, a Byron Bay is sort of a bit like like the Hamptons or, or you yeah, know, Malibu. It's expensive. Yeah, <laughs> it's sort of it's, it's, it's yeah, it's sort of where, where where very rich people pretend to be happy. Yeah, pretend to be hippies, right? Um, <laughs> it, it's true. It's true. I know. Like, it was like this- um, that's why it's Malibu or like. Uh, Things like Taos, New Mexico, or Aspen. You know, it was like Aspen yeah. at the water, something like that. But it was yeah. beautiful. That, that, Still nice. They did this. They did this uh, article on a, on a Australian newspaper recently about uh, Instagram mums and uh, <laughs> the, the Byron Bay, the Byron Bay Instagram mums. And of course, you know, they're they're all absolutely photographed um, uh, professionally just for Instagram. And the kids <laughs> are all wearing the the kids are all wearing you know calico calico uh, natural fiber. Um, uh, clothes and all that sort of thing, and and of course you know, and all the husbands are all CEOs of some major company, but you know the rest of the family are pretending to be living, you know, <laughs> yeah. living a, a natural organic life off the grid. Um, yeah, and but um, so, so, so I think it's one one year turning to nine basically because what then what happened is that is that they just kept calling me and they just kept calling me for 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 nine years. What, um, did you and, have the worry the that? Point. Sorry, did you have the worry that, like at least I had, you know, living in Hollywood and still auditioning here and doing things, that once you're off on at sea, it's like you're off the planet. 
you know, it's just like you might as well be on Mars because you can't get to an audition. You know, the Wi-Fi was slow and difficult. Uh, I felt I was off the grid, man. It was it was good to make the money. But on yeah. the one hand, I felt like it was you're in the business, but you're out of it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, yeah. I've, I mean, you had I've, stuff I've, going I've, on. I, I mean, I yeah. Mean, but the, the thing is, the thing is, you know, for 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 an, uh, an ethnic actor in Australia, it's it's always a bit of a, of a toxic relationship. You know, it's sort of like it's like they, they let you be part of the industry, but you know, you get a few a few crumbs every now and then, and 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 they bring you in, you know, for diversity quotas, and and that's and that's about it. Right. Uh, what what it what what I got out of it of nine years is that for nine years I literally never looked for a job. Okay, and it got to the point where it just I ran out of time with all the cruises that I had. Right, and then material wise. See, the thing is, to me, my reason for doing everything is to find the, the connection between people of different cultures. That has been the basis of all my work, right? You know, we had a huge hit in Australia um, many years ago called Walks Out of Work, which was actually one of the biggest comedy hits on, on, on stage. And it was about migrants. Uh, um, uh, it was about the migrant, you know, the, being a migrant in, in Australia. Then that turned into the, the uh, television series Acropolis Now, which was a sitcom on a major network with a full ethnic cast. Um, what did, and, like, uh, before you, so it was wogs. What, what, what is a wog for our American listeners? Uh, it's it, your version of a, of a uh, would be a, a WOP, WOP. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so the, the, the WOP in America comes from without papers. Which is sort of like when the Italians landed in Ellis Island and all that sort of thing, um, and our version is is what, which is uh, Greeks, Italians, uh, Spanish, Mediterranean people that came um, after after World War Two. Um, so we had this this sort of like the uh, the emigration years of, of Europeans coming, um, you know, coming to Australia and developing those cultures, which is sort of like the Italian New Jersey cultures, and you know, yeah. over there. Yeah, that's. I did thing. notice the uh, huge, there's a huge uh, Greek population, especially in was it in, in Melbourne? Melbourne, yeah, down Melbourne. in yeah. St Kilda's, is it or is it uh, Balaclava? Uh, no, no, uh, no, St Kilda. Um, uh, well, Greek. The, see, Melbourne was the second biggest Greek city in the world. Is Melbourne? Melbourne is Melbourne was the second biggest Greek city after Athens. Wow, for many years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, I grew up in a in a very in in the little Italy of of Melbourne. Um, and uh, so yeah, we so we had this uh, sort of whole, whole mix uh, culture, and but of course you know like uh, in America sort of it wasn't being represented on in film and television, so we we decided to do something about that, and uh, and and you know kicked a few goals with uh, uh, with theater shows and and television programs that we did and, and so on. Um, so consequently. Uh, well, what you were talking about, that the whole thing is that, yeah, you feel like you're off the grid. Um, uh, you know, I mean, sort of things just kept going every now and then, sort of get an audition for a series or television series and all that sort of thing. Um, I've got uh, another television series, uh, um, you know, that's that's coming out next year. It's actually like a, it's a crime, it's a crime series based on a real crime family and it's been on the shelf for two years because the crime family has been in court so the series has been has had a uh, an injunction on it, so it's finally coming out um, coming out next year. Um, but the thing is, is exactly that you know, the the what I got out of the ships was amazing experiences, amazing people that I work with, like Van Ann, like yourself, like lots of lots of people who 
uh, and with the Australians, it was really interesting because a lot of like the the Asians and Italians and all that sort of thing, um, you know, who found found their place outside of the country, you know, outside of Australia. Um, um, that you know, uh, I'll give you I'll give you a little example that happened. This actually only happened last year. I've been living in Australia for forty eight years, and um, <laughs> I was doing I was doing a, a ship where it was one of the uh, really upmarket uh, boutique boutique lines, and any complaints uh, have to be dealt directly by the cruise director. It's not like about eight hundred people in the uh, passengers on uh, on the ship, and uh, she rings me up and she's Australian and she said said Simon, I've got a bit of a problem. I've had a complaint about your show. And I said, well, that's interesting, Julie, because um. I haven't done it yet. <laughs> um, so what's the complaint? And she said, well, this lady, Australian lady, came up to uh, the reception desk with a copy of the program and complained that I was advertised as an Australian comic, but my name is an Australian. <laughs> right? So I'm wow. just going, okay, okay. This is, I mean, you know, for your audience, I'll tell you that this is like somebody complaining that why are you advertising this guy with a, an American, as an American comedian when he hasn't got an American name? Yeah, I know. I know the same thing. Was this and, Crystal? Um, was this Crystal or Seaborn? I'm you not going to say. Well, I don't ask. It could have happened in any one it of those. It could have asked. Yeah, okay. Because I. Uh, it could have happened in any one of those. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so then, I, then I, the next morning, I just I had to sit there in my room watching watching the, the today the morning show with the cruise director having to do an explanation as to why my name wasn't Australian. It was just it was just you know Twilight Zone material. Anyway, so the thing is, is that is that uh, okay? So I got amazing meeting amazing people. I made really good money for nine years. I didn't have to look for a job. Uh, every now and then, something else would pop up in in Australia in television and thing, and I would I would take it. But with some of the money that um, that I did, uh, and I also I also it would take me to Europe and and because uh, for the last six six years I was with um, uh, Barry Ball in uh, Miami, uh, the Barry Ball Agency, who who have been fantastic and uh, in a very very um, professional outfit. And uh, and then they started sending me in ships all over the world, basically. So uh, then I was doing the European summer and the South Pacific summer, and it just basically kept going. Um, so so consequently, also you know, it's sort of like uh, I don't mind. I'm 58. Uh, you know, I'm looking at 60 in a couple of years. So you get to that point as a performer where you go, okay, you know, you got to start thinking about you know what what your exit strategy is. If you if you want one, and uh, uh, because you can work and do really well in ships as many years as you like, but you're never going to be famous. You know, your reward is more ships. Yeah, I mean that's I, I learned that pretty quickly as well. Yeah. I mean it doesn't lead to anything except more cruise work. Yeah, which but, but you know, which is great if you if you want it. But I mean it's yeah. I have no uh, I'm not judging people who want it. Um, it's great, but it's not great for other things. You know, relationships. Right, what, relationships what can it? be hard, oh, too. Hang on. How, how, how many episodes are we doing? One yeah, exactly. That's a whole okay. other show. But right. it's funny because I'm writing a uh, an article for the Wall Street Journal uh, travel section. 
and they want yeah. to do it's about cruising and stuff and it's just the the learning curve of going of being weaned in comedy clubs you know working yeah. in comedy clubs for 25 years and then having to switch to the cruise audience where it's yeah. all ages you have to be super clean and uh yeah so one of the first the only time I was really dressed down by a cruise director was one uh, was on one of those high end luxury right. things and it was my first show there and uh, I I wasn't a foot off the stage you know <laughs> to the smattering yeah. behind me of applause and then he courted me and he's like hey you can't say this and this and I thought I was pretty clean and yeah. uh, no not for that some lady complained clutched her pearls and uh, and and complained and then that was it. And I even took the stuff out for the next shows and, but never worked for them again. It was that, yeah. it was just like that. So it's I, a tough look, learning I, curve. You know? it, it's a very tough learning cur- curve. And I've had a couple of those. There's a couple of uh, uh, cruise directors, which I will tell you right now, I am completely, perfectly happy never to see ever again. Uh, also, I know because they're the kind of people that because they, they created that, uh, that little, um, uh, you know, king of the castle atmosphere, where at the end of the day, it's just, it's just you know, you've got to, you've got to keep looking at some of these people and go, it's go, dude, you're on a ship, right? <laughs> yeah. You are a cruise director on a ship. It doesn't matter, you know. I, yeah. It's, this is you are not the king of Vegas. You're not Steven right? Spielberg. You're not going to break my yeah. career here. That's right. And I'm going to leave here on Wednesday. <laughs> And I'm never going to see you again properly, right? And it just, you know, and the thing is, all it matters is that, you know, that that I get a good enough report to to um, to to get another gig. And, be, and with that, um, now the other thing is, is because of what I was telling you that 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 my work has always been about about finding the connection between cultures. To me, it suited me really well because to have to have people of five or six different countries in the one room and find out what what the connection was, right? Um, and I could play to Australians and Canadians and Americans, you know, all in the one room and British people all, all, all in, in the one room. Um, that was the big learning curve. It drives me insane, insane. Like I can't, I can't, begin, I can't tell you this enough, but w- especially now that all the comedians are at home doing podcasts, <laughs> right, like we are, <laughs> right, that the amount of professional comedians, right, that trash working on cruise ships, Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. It drives me insane because the first thing they're doing is they're taking away a a, a stream of uh, of income from young comedians, right? And also because I look at them and I go, "You can't do that job. You can't stay." The job that we do is to actually stand in front of a thousand strangers, right? They've never met us. We've never met them. They, you know, most of us don't have done. Uh, you know, are not big enough names to actually be recognised. One of the things I did, I started doing after two or three years, is actually something which I found that a bit, you know, made me cringe a bit. But I, I did put a show reel together of some of the stuff that I'd done, right? And I found that changed uh, the attitude of the audience a lot because suddenly it wasn't just like, and now here's like, you know, so you know and so welcome on stage. I thought about right? doing that because you know I'd done so much TV stuff. You know, yeah. that I have, you know, I have reels, I have acting reels, I have, you know, so many hosting reels and or presenting yeah. reels, I should say, <laughs> say for my well, Australian uh, friends. But, well, but I'll tell I mean, you, I'll tell you what, it does add some credibility to you. You know, you're not some no, schlub. It, it, saves you, it saves you 10 minutes of warm up. No, that right? too. That's good. 
you know, yeah. because the thing is the audience, for the first 10 minutes, the audience is sitting there with the, their arms crossed going, okay, what's this guy? Do I like this guy? Is he funny? You know, that sort of thing. But for, I, and, 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 and I do, I've got a three-minute clip with, you know, some, you know, and I've done some, some fairly impressive, impressive uh, things in the past. And, and it's just like quick shots of this. It's uh, two a really, you know, thumping uh, bit of music that you really cannot not like. And um, the and, and what the audience just goes, just goes, oh, he's done that. Oh, he's done Montreal Comedy Festival. Oh, he's worked in New York. Oh, he's worked in Paris. Oh, he's done this. He's done that. Oh, they see him on television, other thing. And then there's something, something in their head goes, well, he must be good. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good idea. Right? And they relax and they relax, right? right and then right. you walk on and then you walk on and you save yourself 10 minutes of trying to trying to, to win them over. Well, that's a great idea. Right? But also, well, I'll ask you this and then we can get off cruises, but were you on a ship when all this went down? Were you? Did you get quarantined anywhere? Did you get stuck somewhere? Because I knew people that were out floating around for two months and couldn't get off. Yeah, I was on a, I was on a ship uh, on Chinese New Year on a ship full of Chinese. Wow. Now that's a language it's, barrier. I don't care how international your yeah. act is, but a Chinese yeah. crowd. I used to have a, a thing I used to call it the Chinese exit, where in the first yeah. five minutes of my act, you see this whole row stand up and leave because yeah. they can't understand me. They thought maybe it was, yeah. hopefully I'd juggle or do something visual <laughs> that they could, yeah. but, oh, he's just going to speak English? Yeah. We're out. And then they would uh, just go. <laughs> yeah. And you just, you just let that sort of trickle through for the first five minutes. Yeah, yeah. And then, then you get on with it. But, um... And we got off in Singapore and the people, like the driver and stuff like that, he, he, said, he said things like, you know, it's not, there's nothing to worry about. Just don't, don't go to crowded places and stuff like that. And I'm like, okay. And then I got home. And then, of course, uh, I had one or two more cruises. And that's when we started to uh, have to sign papers sort of saying that we hadn't been to China, we hadn't been to Singapore I mean, in the last two weeks and so on. Uh, I did one more cruise out to, um, to the South Pacific. I had one more cruise that was leaving out of um, uh, Perth, Fremantle, and that was going to the Seychelles or something like that for two weeks. Anyway, ports were closing down all over the place, um, and I think half the half the passengers got off in in Perth on that cruise, and they ended up can- cancelling. Uh, it was a two week cruise. I got I got paid out, which was very nice, and then that's when our the the lockdown happened. The Melbourne Comedy Festival, which has been running for 33 years, this, that same day, uh, that's basically when, uh, when basically that was the end of, uh, of, of cruising for me and the Comedy Festival closed, which I was going to do, um, do this year. And, and that was it. That was the – and I haven't, I haven't performed. I've done, I've done stuff on, online and, and so on. But you know what? It's sort of like I was – I was sort of planning this year like this, you know. I was going to get a dog. Where's my dog over here? I've got, I've oh, got you got my a dog, dog merengue. I got my dog merengue, which is a, a Basenji. And um, <laughs> so there he is. There, look at that. Oh, he's adorable. He's look crazy. at that guy. Oh. And uh, I got a camper van. I've done a, a van up, so we're going to be traveling. Um, and I was going to slow down and spend time at home, and you know just do things uh, around the house. And then 2020 came along and said, Hey, hold my beer. <laughs> Let so me you, give you a hand. Yeah. So you have, uh, you have children. I've got two uh, sons, 26 and 28. Uh, my youngest one has been away in Byron Bay 
uh, in a van for the last five months. He came back yesterday. So we haven't seen him for about five months. And my oldest one, who's 28, and I have spent seven months in this apartment. Wow. Together. Still getting been, along? And still, we're still talking to each other. <laughs> we're still... We're still good friends, which, but I tell you what, it really has been the year that both of us are going to remember uh, for a long time because it really, I think it really just, just made our relationship. You know, I mean, imagine, you know. It's great. Hey, for someone who's been, been away at sea for nine years, this is a good time, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And uh, um, I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know where, I don't know what, where we're going. I don't know what, uh, um, I started a business uh, about four weeks ago. Uh, uh, I make this uh, really nice uh, Basque burned cheesecake, um, which is halfway between. Uh, you're a big food man. I love uh, food. We went right, to some well, this, famous Chinese restaurant when we were in. We did. We Melbourne. did. We went to to, um, uh, to the Shack Fin Inn. Yeah, and um, <laughs> so halfway. This this is a cake that's from the San Sebastian. Uh, region of Spain up in the north, and it's halfway between a creme caramel and a cheesecake. Ooh, that sounds amazing. Yeah, so it's got no crust, so the whole thing basically just just floats in this. Is it like a flan? Cream. It's like a flan. It's like a flan, but it's baked, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, and, um, uh, and it comes from one specific very famous bar called La Vigna in, uh, in San Sebastian. And... Uh, uh, so we've been doing a pop-up shop of that for the last uh, four weeks, and it's really doing very well. Um, and you know, I love doing it. And you know, we've we've done so much cooking and 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 things around around the house. I did some Zoom performance, uh, uh, but you know, a bit of writing and and all that sort of thing. But you know, no, it was it was really literally the sabbatical. We've been locked in locked down in Melbourne. We've just come out of on and off seven months of lockdown. So describe your lockdown as, because uh, this will drive Americans crazy. There are yeah. no cases right now in Australia, right? And this is, we're doing this on uh, November 18th, uh, right? Uh, There's November no reported 18th, cases right now? To, today, I think, uh, is the 16th day of what we call double donuts, which means that there are zero deaths and zero cases, new cases. That's great. So uh, what, when you said you're locked down, um, did you – what were you allowed to do? Could you go okay. out to the – let me, let me first say there was nothing easy about it. And by the way – Oh, no, I know. Um, even though, even though um, we – the lockdown has been lifted, uh, uh, everywhere, everyone in Melbourne in the street is still wearing masks. Um, so the masks, the masks haven't disappeared yet. People are getting a bit frustrated because – you know, we, we've got uh, a double zero days after day, but um, people are still wearing their masks. And uh, um, I think what we really what what we've really come to understand in Melbourne, and as you know, I uh, I, I also spend a lot of time in in Spain uh, as well, so I keep an eye on what's what's happening over there. Is that Melbourne has taken all the medical decisions? Uh, in for the, the way for, that a, for the country or, or like no no making, for, the, for the state of it for the state of Victoria okay the rest of the country Melbourne was the only one that had a flare up of seven hundred and fifty cases a day right which I know is nothing compared to one hundred fifty thousand yeah. or whatever it is you're getting a day over there but 
Um, but the thing is that that 750 cases a day in Melbourne, uh, two or three months later, um, we got it down to zero a day. And in Spain, France, which had exactly the same number, uh, two or three months later, they had 26,000 cases a day. Okay. Um, so, and I've got family in Spain. So they, they had the first lockdown around about March um, where they couldn't, you know, you could only go out to, one person could go out to the shop uh, to, do the, to do the shopping and walk the dog and that was it. Kids couldn't go to school. I think that went on for about a month. Uh, and then over here we had a, a small lockdown of about uh, a month and a half, six weeks, something like that. Then the cafes opened again and sort of people got a bit of a, you know, a bit relaxed about it and then the numbers fled up. Fled up. And then we went into a, a full lockdown. Um, people couldn't travel more than five. Um, uh, only, only essential jobs uh, could continue. Everybody was working from home. And the other thing is that we actually got paid to stay at home. Right, so you could actually either get an unemployment benefit or what they call a a job keeper payment, which means that uh, the company could actually pay people to maintain them on a wage. Did they did they freeze uh, rents and mortgages? Yes, they did. Okay. Um, So mortgages still frozen uh, until uh, until about January February next year. Um, So. so you know, it's sort of it's sort of like, and it makes it very easy to say, "All right, you're getting paid to stay at home," um, but psychologically, um, that was the hard part because psychologically, it's sort of like you're getting paid to exist and watch Netflix and bake bread and all this, all that, all the different stages that we've gone through this year uh, of different things. But you also uh, and I think, I think that this is really where people really found it hard is that um, you had to stay at home with a lot of the things you were avoiding. Um, Spouses. Maybe some of the people. <laughs> Spouses. Some of the people, exactly. <laughs> some of the people you were avoiding. Yeah. Um, so they were keeping a very close uh, um, eye on things like domestic violence and, uh, and mental health and, and so on. Uh, I, I mean, we definitely went through a stage. I mean, I know, I know that... Uh, at some point, uh, I woke up one, one, you know, in the middle of the night, um, and you know, I felt like my brain was sort of. I could actually think. My brain was actually thinking on two levels, and one level, one, one brain was like watching the other one think. It was it was very weird. So I, I did actually go to a to a therapist for online for you know for a few sessions, uh, but a lot of people were going through that because it wasn't just sitting at home. It was the uncertainty of where where this was going to happen. Now, I will tell you right now that the people that have complained the most, and we've got you know the the kind of Fox News in Australia, also owned by hey same guy one of the great your one man. of the greatest things one, one of the, the finest Australian guys thank you ever. yeah Rupert Murdoch right. the whole Murdoch family Rupert. thank you so much. Um, and uh, you know you know what what I actually found you know. Um, is that the people that complained the most and, and the, the, the Premier of Victoria, our state, just got hammered and hammered and hammered by, 
by the right-wing media uh, for the decisions he was, he was making. And, um, uh, and, and what I found, and I'm sure you found the same thing, and, you know, especially the election that you guys have just gone through, that you probably had to <laughs> unfriend quite a few people and, and there were people that you sort of realized, thought that we're going to be thinking different ways and that we're going to be as friends, friend and friends and family, friends and family. Exactly. You know, so we were going through the same thing, but ultimately what I found was this, the people who complained the most were the people who found it harder to adapt and to change and to uh, be flexible and create new things. Because I also, also saw so many of my friends from the ships who were all of a sudden doing amazing paintings and selling their artwork and uh, creating um, masks, a whole, a whole series of masks with really funny lines on them. Um, uh, you know, I started a cake shop. Um, other people started all sorts of, of different businesses. Another friend of mine who's a comedian started doing uh, cooking uh, cooking on online uh, where he gets like about 100 families to tune in on Zoom and he sends them um, the, um, the ingredients list and they'll have this cooking party on Friday nights, <laughs> you know, at home uh, and they'll pay 20 bucks. So time that times 100 and that's, you know, that's a fairly decent wage, you know. Well, it's also the kind of nature of being what is being conservative, really. It's like you knew, you know what you know. This is the way I was yeah. taught. This is the way I liked it. You know, and change is not a good thing. And it's or, or at the very least, uh, something new is usually met with suspicion, at least at first or yeah. outright fear or hatred. You know, yeah. now I know yeah. this is the way, you know, what is that? New music? Ugh. A new religion? Yeah. No. Yeah. A, new, a new form of government? Ugh. We've always done it this way. Yeah, but this is horrible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. but you can't, they know it. And somehow that's more comfort than, but, which is why a lot of old people, you'd think, it, you know, I'd go down to Florida or Arizona where there's a lot of retirees and old people are some of the ones that I'm there at the most risk, but they're the ones fighting it the hardest. They're like, ah, they don't know yeah. what they're talking. They don't want to do anything because uh, we, we'd yeah. be, we, Hey, look, we work ships, you know, with these old people, you, you change one thing, you change the, the color of the chairs in the dining room and you get 50 complaints. Yeah. Why do I like the old chairs? Well, they were ragged. Well, what's wrong with the old chair? Yeah. Change the time of the first dinner seating and for by 15 minutes. And you're like, why is it at, yeah. at 730? It's not supposed to be 745. You're like, oh, my God, just yeah. deal with I can't, it. I can't, I can't remember what the, uh, the cruise line was, but it was just, it was just like, uh, the same passengers had been going to the same bar on the same ship to the same waiter for 15 years. Yeah. And when that waiter's not there, you're going to hear about it. You're going to hear they about it. They lose it. They just yeah. lose it completely. But there's a great, um, they find great comfort in, you know, and I know as you get older, it's like my mom, when you take her out of a routine, she gets a little yeah. flustered. You know, she's in her 80s now too, yeah. especially. So it's just like that's, yeah. if things aren't where they're supposed to be, she can't find them. And then she's lost, you know, that kind of thing. So, I can see that throwing so, throwing them off their game, you know. But some of these people are not that old. Either. No, I know, so, I know. You know. Yeah, that too. It's like <laughs> they they feel it any kind of oppression. You know, the nanny state yeah. is telling them what to to do. Yeah, but it's also that the, the in in the United States, you know, the the, the nature of of uh, 
the mentality of being brought up with, you know, my right, it's my right, my freedom. Yeah. Which is which is the most nebulous concept, you know. It's like it's like the, it's like the pursuit of happiness. It's like it's like um, when when you go back to the writing of uh, of, of the Constitution and and somebody wrote the the right to uh, to own property and then and then because they're all you know, slave owners who wrote the constitution. Somebody said, I don't think we should write that because then black people might get the wrong idea and then rubbed it out. And somebody said, well, what are we going to put here? And somebody said, I don't know, pursuit of happiness. And they're putting the most nebulous phrase <laughs> right. ever put in any constitution anywhere in the world. Okay. What the hell does that mean? The pursuit of happiness. <laughs> right. And, uh, uh, so consequently, you know, this this whole idea of of, uh, of, of freedom, and yeah, you know, in, and in Australia, I have to say that that uh, to a point, there is a bit of a, uh, a a nanny state, which when you travel to other places and you come back and you go, oh yeah, I forgot, I forgot that you uh, that uh, you know you have to sort of like uh, you know wear seatbelts in Australia and things like that. Um, but but you know, it's also it's also a, a, a different countries have got a different uh, level of. Of social conscience, you know, where they think uh, think as a group or as a, or as, a as an individual. Now, can I just say that two things actually um, that happened to me at the beginning of this pandemic, and one was I was reading about the uh, the effects of COVID um, and about being on a ventilator and being in tubes, um, and I realised as I was reading, you know, what the procedure was that my father had actually had that six years ago um, uh, in Spain and he was intubed on a ventilator for two months. And I, was, and I ring up my sister, I said, I said, this is exactly what, you know, what happened today. So when you are intubed, the, 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 the tube going down your throat and going through your vocal cords and down to your stomach is so uncomfortable that they have to put you to sleep, right? So you are in an, in an induced coma which when you close your eyes, you really don't know if you're going to wake up again, right, because it could go anyway once you, once they put you in an in induced coma. So my father was in an induced coma for two months uh, on a ventilator. Um, during that time, my mother died while he was in the induced coma. So when he came out of it, he had lost his short-term memory, so we had to tell him about four times that mum had died. And it took his body about a year of physio because you've got to realise that your muscles, you know, disintegrate. Atrophy, yeah. Atrophy, right. Um, and, of course, that basically said to me, I don't want to get this and I don't want to give it to somebody else, you know. So I was quite happy to, to stay at home and just and just write it out. I still am happy to, to stay at home and I'm still, you know, have to think about, you know, um, whether uh, I'm going to go back into a job like, cruise ships and unless I am guaranteed that I'm going to be perfectly safe. Uh, it is just, it is that, that to me is just non, non-negotiable, right? Yeah. It's um, going to be interesting to see. And I'm yeah. seeing some of the regulations that seem to be, you know, they're going to say the ships are going to have to deal with, and it, it sounds miserable. <laughs> it really yeah. does. And, yeah. you, you know, yeah. wearing masks around the ship and the risk of being quarantined and stuck somewhere. Um, yeah. Not, uh, spacing out audiences, which is, you know, it's comedy death. <laughs> yeah. it, you want to get them close and, you know, together and to have them yeah. all spread out and have a half filled room in some of these giant theaters is, is horrible. You know, it's all uh, have all have all have, um, you know, 150 people in a comedy club. Yeah. You know, inside a ship, you know, and so far, every single ship 
only about you know three or four ships have gone out, and every single one of them has come back with about thirty or forty cases. I so, know. Um, the, the one thing it does have it, going for it, though, is 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 cruises. They do have the most loyal. Uh, yeah. Passengers. I mean, the people are still reserving sh- cruises for next year. I mean, they're already and it'll come back. But it's just the whole world has to has to you know deal with it. Deal with uh, this first. The other thing is that at the beginning of this, I also read a book called uh, The Plague by Albert Camus, and The Plague is a is a book uh, that he wrote in 1941 uh, about a pandemic, a plague in a, a city in the north of Africa in, uh, in Algiers, and he had actually researched. Uh, plagues and pandemics and so on quite well. It's really interesting when you go back and, and see um, the Spanish flu and how, how America dealt with it, you know, same thing. All the states were fighting each other about how to deal with it, about wearing masks, about whether they were, they were going to have welcome home parades after World War One. the whole thing. Um, the fact that all the soldiers were coming back home after World War One is actually what helped spread this, the, the Spanish flu. Um, and the... Uh, so he wrote this book called The Plague and all the characters that we have seen in COVID are in that book. The people who don't believe it, the people who think it's, you know, only it's only going to affect uh, a, a certain amount of people and they're not going to be affect, affected. The fact that they don't have to do anything, the, the fact that they resent their lifestyle being changed. The central character of the book is... Uh, the doctor in charge of the pandemic for the city and his fight with the uh, with the local government. The central character is Dr. Fauci. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, absolutely Dr. Fauci or the or Dr. Breton, which is the doctor that we had here in Melbourne. Uh, and uh, uh, and of course what you know what I what I what I keep seeing uh, you know because people keep talking about unprecedented times. These times are not unprecedented. We've had it before, and people have have reacted the same way, right? And and they've had the same problems. What? And uh, the, uh, the 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 thing I keep seeing is is that the, the balance between the economy and the medical issues. And of course, every time I see somebody taking into like they say, listen, we need to take the, into account the economy. Well, every time they take the the economy into account, the numbers just go completely ballistic and they have to close down the place again, which is what's happening in Europe now. So yeah. now the economy is stuck again for another three, four months, right? Now we're talking about, you know, things not opening up until March, April, May next year. Back to square back to back to square one. In Australia, which we and, and New Zealand, which is also the place that that, you know, at least we're gonna have some sort of uh, bubble, you know. Tasmania, Tasmania was amazing because uh, I was going to go down there a couple of a couple of months ago, and all you had to do is get a test at the airport when you got there, stay isolated for twenty four hours until you got the result. But once you were actually in the island, it was completely open. Everything was running as normal. You see, and that's what's going to happen here. That eventually Australia and New Zealand is going to form a, a bubble of you know COVID free. And then another country in the South Pacific, and, and and so on, and that's and that's how we, you know, eventually open up. And then we'll be waiting for you guys, yeah, to come over there and poison you. <laughs> that's right. What? Uh, so what can? Who can anyone fly there? Let's get it to travel again, since this is a travel podcast. Yeah. Who who can come to Australia if anybody now? 
Can anyone? I think anybody. I think anybody can come to Australia, but you have to spend two weeks, and I think you have to pay for it now, and you have to spend two weeks uh, isolated in a in a hotel. Now, Laura Ingham in the uh, on Fox News actually called it the camps of New Zealand. Uh, can I just can I just uh, fix that up by saying that it's actually a five star hotel? That that's my kind of in. camp. That's my kind yeah. of camp. Uh, and you get all your meals, and uh, and basically uh, you have to um, stay there. It's the the outbreak. There's a big uh, controversy in in, in it's still going on in Melbourne because because one of the one of the guards that was actually guarding one of the hotels slept with one of the people that was quarantined, and that actually led to the biggest spread in Victoria. So that was that. That sort of caused the the, uh, and then the whole state had to go. So you know, just just a sudden, just because one guy <laughs> one wanted guy to get laid, couldn't keep his pants wanted, on, couldn't keep his pants on. The whole <laughs> the whole state ended up being locked up for two months. So um, so where have you been going yeah. with this van? Uh, I'm about to uh, go to uh, Sydney on Monday because the border between uh, Victoria and New South Wales opens on Monday. So I'll be at the border on Monday morning revving up. Um, they've been closed. Oh, uh, so they've shut, they shut the state borders? The, st- the, the state borders have been shut until the 23rd. Wow. Uh, South Australia uh, went into a lockdown just for six days starting yesterday because they just had a another um, out, outbreak over there, although today they went back to, um, to zero cases. So they've closed the border with South Australia. Um, the border with New South Wales opens on Monday. Uh, so I'm going to – I haven't seen my sister in about eight months. So I'm going over to, to Sydney, catch up with Van Ann and, uh-huh. uh, and a few other people uh, from the ships uh, because, you know, nobody's seen anybody hey. uh, for, for seven, eight months. And um, uh, so slowly, slowly we sort of, um, but the whole country, the numbers on the in in nationally in Australia are like, you know, one or two or three or something like that. I mean, and and most of the cases that are appearing is usually um, from an overseas uh, overseas source. So the biggest thing is actually tracking. It's a tracking system. The tracking system has to be spot on so that. Um, uh, they know exactly where the where the person caught it from and who they've been in touch with. Yeah. So, if I travel, if I say I fly into Melbourne, does that yep. be, and and quarantine for fourteen for days? Weeks. Does yeah. that mean if I go to New South Wales, I would have to quarantine again, or can I once I'm in the no. country, I'm good? Okay. Not from the twenty third. From the twenty third, okay. you can actually drive straight through. Have you been noticing tourists? I mean, uh, I mean, are they there? I mean, no. Yeah. I mean. There are none. And this is and this is what this is what gets me about people com- complaining about the uh, the economy. It's like you know, well, you know, all the cafes are doing, a, a, you know, a, people are going broke and cafes and restaurants and all sorts of things. As soon as you open the cafes and the restaurants, it's like everything is forgotten, right? <laughs> Especially in Melbourne, all you want to all people want to do is go to a cafe or a restaurant, yeah. right? And as soon as that happens, it's like it's like they've forgotten everything. Um, but the thing is, is regardless of local businesses, right? It's 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 almost like a it's a bit of a of a of a, uh, a fantasy of an economy because because you have got um, we've got this trade war with China that's going on at the moment then you've got no tour no tourists coming in so tourism is completely wiped out 
Uh, you've got uh, no foreign students, which is actually one of the biggest sources uh, of foreign uh, uh, income in Australia. Uh, the, the foreign students are coming to study at, at um, all of our universities. Um, what else? There's no ships going in or out. There's no there's no planes. Uh, very few flights in and out. The airports are closed or you know empty. Uh, so really, the economy that we're talking about is this is this bubble economy, you know, within the country that looks like things are moving, but of course, internationally, you know, we're completely locked in. Everybody's got to make money off the same twenty-two million people. Yeah, that's it. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's not that. and yeah, and that's, like, and that's exactly what they're doing because they actually opened up the the border between uh, the city of Melbourne and country Victoria. And the commercials the next day is like, you know, go and travel, you know, yeah. you know, go and travel to the country in Victoria, go and, you know, which I, I have to say, I admit that I did. But but it's sort of like, um, yeah, this uh, this summer is going to be Australians going around Australia, basically, and, and nothing else. Well, give us one place for travelers who go to Australia that, you know, everybody knows the highlights. But where would you recommend that maybe people see that doesn't get a lot of love, that what's a good That's secret funny. place? Tasmania. 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 Tasmania is, to me, um, literally uh, one of the most, I think it's the most beautiful state. Um, it's about the size of um, Nevada, maybe? Small. Oh, yeah, it's small. I have to yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you, I went- You can actually drive, you can drive, you can drive from one end to the other in about three, four hours, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. But you've got, in a state that size, you've got 250,000 people, right? So half of it is actually wild forest, mountains, lakes. You can still do um, uh, walking tracks of 12 days, right? Uh, some of the most beautiful um, uh, beaches and spots. Uh, it's, it's, it's what we know about New Zealand, but in a little compact island. Um, then you've got one of the weirdest museums of art in the world, which is the Mona Museum down in Hobart. Hobart is like an old uh, Scottish uh, fishing village, right? It's one of the oldest cities in um, in Australia. And, um, uh, and the produce is beyond belief. And because it's a cheap place to live, you have a lot of chefs that go there and set up small restaurants with the with the produce so wine i mean i remember remember like doing my first tours and and you know the the old lady at the at the you know bed and breakfast would say you know you want bacon and eggs and you know usual australian breakfast type of thing and i go yeah yeah sure because you know because if you don't um i can bring you a dozen oysters (laughs) and they were like the most unbelievable tasmanian oysters that were like 20 cents each, you know, <laughs> um, they, they took, they took some, and of course, you know, it, t- it took a while for, for people from outside of Tasmania to catch on that this place really, really had it, um, had it going. So, um, uh, so, uh, you know, uh, I think if you, if you come to Australia and do a trip, uh, Melbourne, I, I'm, I'm a Melbourneian through and through. I think we've got, Melbourne would have to be one of the best food places in the world. Uh, and I have to say that because of the variety that we have, we have got great food from every country in um, in Melbourne. Um, 
Uh, it's also a great, uh, great bars, very chic. Uh, the weather is uh, colder than Sydney, but that, that's what makes it an indoor city. Um, and because of that, we've got, uh, you know, great art, great cafes, great bars. Um, and, uh, and of course, you know, there is no, as you know, more magnificent harbour to sail into than Sydney Harbour, you know? Yeah. Uh, no, it was, so with like the, the cities that I went to there, so I basically started in Melbourne and went all the way up to Cairns. Uh, you know, this was 96, it was my first solo trip outside of the country. So I actually did comedy in, uh, in sync in, uh, the SB hotel. Oh my and God. The, you, that, that's, this is, that's you. This is 96. You, you, put that, you, put, you put that, you put that in your, in your resume. Cause the SB, <laughs> the SB is the, is the badge of honor of the grunge, great grunge hotels of the world. And it was closed when I was there last with you, I think. Is it's it been gone forever? Oh, okay. No, no, no. It's been. It looks magnificent at the moment. Oh, great! Uh, and it's and, and now it's open again. But it's had a, a complete uh, job done, and the comedy, uh, which uh, um, which you would have done the the Gershon Room at the back, has just yeah. been renovated. Oh, great! Yeah, it was. It was. I knew it was. A, it was a pretty well known place, and it was known for bands at the yeah. time. But they had a, a comedy night, and so they gave me five minutes that I remember. For some reason, I think it was outdoors. I could be, I don't remember, but it went okay. <laughs> That's all. I had never performed outside of the, of America before, so it was very exciting. But uh, just if you, if, you, if you ever run into an Australian comic, just say, hey, I, I've done the ESP. I have a T-shirt they gave me from there that uh, I will say it doesn't fit anymore. <laughs> right. So that's more about me. But uh, yeah. I wanted to ask you about um, Spain because uh, is your family – you from there, or did you you went to school there, or how did that work? When did your family? Uh, I come? was uh, I was uh, uh, we lived there until seventy two. Uh, so I, uh, my family came to Australia when I was ten years of age. For um, the economy, was for, this a Franco decision? Yeah. A Franco decision? Uh, yeah, we lived in, <laughs> during the dictatorship. Um, I uh, I got to tell you the story because uh, uh, I did the I was the first Spanish comedian to be invited to the Montreal Comedy Festival. Uh, oh, I did Montreal. Back. Yeah, uh, I did it in Spanglish. Uh, oh, okay. Because the, I went, the, it, I was taken there by the um, by Paramount Comedy in Spain as a, as a sort of co-production with them, and I got this tattoo, uh, which is which I got in Montreal, which is Poderes Querer. Well, that is going to, whether it's a wheel, there's a way. Because I dreamed about getting to Montreal for so many years, but I, it never occurred to me that I would get there in Spanish. Um, so, um, uh, okay, so, so this, is, this is why we came to Australia. My father went to the immigration office in Madrid and there were three windows open and there was one for Germany, one for Canada and one for Australia. And we had already been to Germany. Uh, uh, my parents had been to Germany in the, in the 60s. Uh, so he lined up to go to sign up to go to Canada, okay? And as the queue was getting closer and closer to the window, this friend of his came into the office, into the, into the immigration office and, and saw him there. And he said, hey, what are you doing here? And he said, I'm signing up to go to Canada. And his friend said, you know how effing cold Canada is? <laughs> And he said, really? He said, yeah. And with that, he took one step to the side and joined the queue to go to Australia. 
And that's how the biggest decision in our lives was made. <laughs> Honestly, it's uh, he didn't make a bad decision. It was pretty good. He decision. was right. Yeah, I, he went was to, right. I went to Canada. Yeah, when I told that story in Canada, <laughs> and, and all the everybody in the audience had, had actually a, a migrated to Canada about the same time as my father was planning to, and they all said they're going. Yep. Yep. He was right. It was a good. It was a good <laughs> yeah. call. But yeah. I did find when I would just say this on ships, I did find a great advantage I had when I started doing ships, and when you said talking to all these international crowd, is having that travel background and knowing. I had jokes ready to go about it. You know, I got my Canadian people joke, my my Aussie jokes, my Brit jokes, you know, and and know how to tweak it because guys would try it, especially Americans, and they don't know the country and they don't know the quirks. And I didn't want to come off as another dumb American. That It's the image that I try to fight for the last 30 years of traveling. That guy who doesn't know anything. I never thought I'd use it as much because I didn't have to. I can't do as many jokes about traveling in America because so many people haven't been to so many places that I've been, you know, so well, you either come up, they don't, they don't, they don't get the reference or you can come off looking like a pompous, oh, Mr. Travel is around, you know, so you really have to dance this. Yeah. Dance. Ooh, and, you speak two languages. Oh, bloody duh. oh, tell us about when you were in France. <laughs> you know, and just like, okay, well, this isn't helping yeah. either. So, um, cruises were a can good I, can outlet I say, for can that. Can I say that it, it, it's not just Amer- uh, see the, the thing? The thing with with um, the whole American American thing is that is that American culture is so prevalent around the world that. Uh, and you know, you always have Australian comedians uh, on TV shows going over to America and. And saying, oh, you know, can you point Australia on a map and, you know, and all that sort of thing. Of course. Like yeah. they're, looking, they're looking for the dumb American. Now, can I say that the thing is, is when, when you meet Americans, right, and that you, you kind of expect them to know something about your country, right, and then you're surprised that they don't and you think, oh, Americans are so insular. But the thing is that American culture is so prevalent, it's, it's literally your biggest export, right, yes. around the world, okay, films, that, that and, things, Well, that and, that and weapons, Sure. Okay, but, <laughs> but but you know, we, you know, we 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 don't let them here. Yeah. Um, the um, no, I don't want to brag. Yeah. Um, the uh, so in a way, you sort of expect Americans to sort of know the same about you. But you know, I find I find Australians. You know, Australians have all this conversation about culture, and you know, we don't want people coming into this country who are going to change our culture and. Muslims and halal cooking and all that sort of thing. It's like it's like you will stop five times at a McDonald's and a KFC to go to a demonstration to complain about halal cooking. You know, yeah. it's just it's just and it makes and it, and it just the it, all the conversation we have about culture in Australia is under this huge dome of American culture, which people don't even see it as foreign. Right. But the thing is, it's like it's or like, British or British culture, which is where oh, most of your culture comes from. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And ours, ours too. Yeah. Now it's sort of we're, we're a mixture of uh, we, we sort of like uh, like Canada. We, we've grown up with with British and American television in, in, in that sense. Um, and uh, uh, but but then but then outside of American culture, I think, you know, people in Australia are as insular as any other country. I think most sure. countries, people are fairly insular. Oh, absolutely. Um, and the same thing, you know, when I, when I get, on, get up on stage here, after working on ships and I go into, you know, go to a local comedy gig and try out material and I'm sitting there going, oh, yeah, you can talk about 
suburbs and that neighbourhood and Bunnings, which is our, you know, local hardware shop and, you know, all that sort of thing that you forgot that you could actually mention because we've been working in front of international audiences for yeah. so long. But there's a but there's an advantage of, you know, like you and, and Canadians have that um, I envy in front of international audiences because uh, half the world doesn't really hate you. And, uh, sure. okay. and so, but seriously, it's yeah. uh, it's a great get out of jail free card. You know, there's a reason Canadians yeah. put Canadians flags all over everything they own because yeah. so people don't think they're Americans and yeah. I get it. You know, when you have an empire, you're going to take some heat for it, sure. you know, and especially so especially now, which is and, closer to like three quarters of the world that hate you. Yeah. And, and you have to worry <laughs> about, yeah. And you have to worry about coming off uh, cocky or um, condescending. Or, yeah. uh, you know, some, so you dance a fine line. It's like, no, I'm one of the good ones. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm not one of those, you know, I'm not here to take over. But I always said about well, like, love, Canadians and, and Australians, are, like you said, are very similar. I mean, they're just, uh, and I said like, uh, Australians are tan Canadians who surf. That's the biggest, yeah. that's basically yeah. the same is, people. And it is that, it's like, it's like, it's like, you know, we're not Americans, so, you know, people like us anyway. Yeah, so they like it's it. it's, you know, <laughs> get away with everything around the world. Yeah. That, I love uh, that, that line, uh, uh, which is uh, Canadians? Canadians are like like free range Americans. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's about right. So, I mean, do you work in Spain? I mean, did you you say you do? Yeah. All this bilingual show you're doing. I mean, it must have. It probably doesn't serve you. I don't know how big the Spanish speaking community in Australia is, but I can't imagine it. We we that big. we bring out we bring out Spanish comics. For the last three years, we've been bringing out Spanish comics. What what has happened now is that. The Spanish community has been decimated because um, with COVID, uh, the the we used to have people on a on a one year uh, study work visa. Uh, basically, every waiter in Melbourne has gone back to their country, really, right now. So, uh, which is interesting because because Melbourne is opening up the cafes and restaurants, and it, they're so short of staff at the moment. Uh, literally, if you can if you can clean a glass, um, you can work in ten different places in, in Melbourne at the moment because. All those people that, that were here on a one-year uh, work-study visa have, have gone back to uh, mainly uh, uh, European countries. Well, I'm um, looking for work. Uh, <laughs> well, I can wash a glass. Over here. Come over here. The, um, <laughs> it's um, uh, Sorry, so we were talking about what? Um, the Spanish-speaking community oh, in Australia. The Spanish community be... in Australia, is, yeah, it's, 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 that's, so, so it's enough to sort of like – you know, do a couple of shows here, here and there. Um, uh, it's not as big as uh, like you know when we were growing up, where we had like a. Big, but then, but then, a lot of those uh, communities and clubs and all that sort of thing have sort of dissipated to online groups anyway. Um, it's actually quite hard to to uh, uh, advertise um, things. It used to be like you know, used to go to the local Spanish club and everybody would be there. And if you wanted to do a, a, an event in, in Spanish, all you had to do was go to the, the Spanish club. But then of course, with, uh, with internet now, you know, um, everybody sort of like joins a, you know, Spanish in Melbourne or Spanish in Sydney. Uh, right. That sort of thing. Um, so, uh, but the whole thing is, is for me to go to Europe. My plan next year is actually, uh, which has been now put back um, a bit further is to actually go and, and settle in uh, Barcelona for a year, um, and work. Uh, get back into uh, back into acting. I went to a fantastic drama teacher uh, called Juan Carlos Coraza in Madrid, who I think is one of the best uh, 
acting um, teachers in, in the world. Uh, I was in the same class as uh, Javier Bardem. You know the, the Spanish actor who did oh, the... Oh, uh, yes, we know him. He's, he's a know, very he, famous guy. Who are you talking right. to here? Come on. I live in Hollywood, <laughs> for Christ's sake. Um, do I know so, Javier Bardem? Oh, the Oscar-winning actor? Right. Yes, I do. Yes, yeah, Simon. Yes, so I we do. Were, so, we were in the, so we were in the same class in, um, in wow. Madrid, um, together. So did, um, yeah, parallel. Obviously, as you, as you can tell, yeah, parallel careers. Exactly yeah. the same. Did you know... Um, uh, see now, see now, Penelope, the filmmaker. Penelope Cruz? No, well, the oh, filmmaker. Oh, Almodovar? Almodovar. Almodovar. Yeah. Um, I worked, I worked on, a, on a television show uh, where, we had, where he was a guest uh, quite a few times. He, I mean, he's, uh, he's like one of the best interviews you will ever have oh, on yeah, any yeah. talk show. He was just, he's just, he's just like, he, he really gives you your money's worth. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, the thing is, is that in Europe, um, what is happening in Europe now is uh, that Netflix is filming so much over there because obviously in, in the States, you're not going to be filming. And, and I have to say that in Australia, they're also filming because we've got film studios here in Melbourne, in Sydney and on the Gold Coast up north. And they're actually getting booked out because, you know, we are providing a sort of like, you know, clean bubble of COVID. So I did, I did some, some really nice um, workshops online with, uh, with European casting directors about getting back into, you know, the whole casting process in Europe. Uh, and, I mean, some of the stuff that's been coming out of Netflix, especially shot in Berlin, um, The Queen's Gambit. Amazing. Have you seen that? I've seen one show oh and I'm going to watch the rest of it. Oh. All my friends are raving about it, so they're forcing me to watch it, and uh, I can't um, wait. There was, a, there was also Orthodox, Orthodox, the one about the uh, the Jewish. Uh, I didn't watch Jewish that girl. one. I did not watch that one. Well, that was also shot mainly in. Uh, I think all of it actually was shot in in, uh, uh, in Berlin. Um, so what is, what's what what's happening now is that basically Netflix has run out of product, and they're going to have to start filming, you know, outside of America um, very quickly because. You know, the, 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 there are countries all over the world going into lockdown in different stages. So, and the same thing is going to happen with you guys in, in different states until this whole Ugh. thing is sorted out. Um, now, can I just say, I just want to give this a plug because what we're talking about, what do you do, what do, you do with, with your time and money from working on ships? And what I did two years ago is I actually uh, went to Cuba and did a documentary on uh, uh, Cuban comedians. Oh, great. And the and the comedy scene in the stand-up comedy scene in Havana, um, and uh, uh, so I came back with uh, a film called Latigo, uh, which means whip in Spanish, and it's from a Jose Marti famous uh, line, which is humor. Humor is like a whip with with jingle bells on the tip. <laughs> it sounds good- funny until it hits you. Uh, That's and, great. Uh, yeah. And that film has actually, that documentary has actually been doing the rounds of, uh, of film festival around the world for the last, for the last uh, year and a half. Latigo. I was in uh, Havana for three nights, or th- yeah, three right. days. Um, this was back in probably 2011, maybe, yeah. or even maybe earlier. But I still had to sneak in through uh, Cancun. Basically, I was down in Cancun. Right. And I just took a Air Cubana flight. I had to pay all cash for everything. As an American, your bank card, nothing works down yeah. there. So you have to bring cash. And uh, I found it fascinating. I just like, and then it's, especially as an American to go there and see a place with no advertising. 
yeah. everywhere. And you don't realize how much it's in your face all day long, constantly, until you don't see yeah. it. Even in a big city, no ads for Sony or you know, certainly not Coca-Cola or something, but you know what I mean? Yeah. It just, or video games or whatever it is. Yeah. You just, it, nothing, nothing. The only billboards were all, you know, propaganda, but fascinating. No, no just imagine what it was uh, before the revolution. You know, it was Vegas in the fifties. Yeah. It was insane. It was, I have friends, my uncles or great uncles and my father's family, they would all fly down to Havana for holidays and they would gamble and, and do whatever, you know, guys do. <laughs> More stuff I probably shouldn't know about, but uh, it was crazy. It was, and you see these faded hotels. It was like yeah. time stopped in 1959. It was really fascinating. Well, the 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 the, the biggest uh, meeting of of the mafia was actually in Havana in um, 50. Yeah, about that 58, 59. It's in it's, a, it's in one of the um, Godfather Two. Um, the Godfather Two, yeah. And, and Frank Sinatra was the 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 corporate entertainer. Uh, for for the biggest you know mafia corporate event in in history, and um, it was uh, it was interesting. There's by the way, if you want to, if you're actually uh, really interested in the, the whole uh, uh, history of Cuba, uh, there's a German documentary series called The Story of Cuba Libre, I think it is, and they it, and it goes from when Christopher Columbus landed in Cuba until 2018, and because it's sort of from a German point of view. It's actually quite um, quite even in the way it, it looks at the history of Cuba, and, and, it, and basically the history of Cuba is that the Cuban people always fighting for some some freedom from somebody uh, uh, colonizing them. It's it's it's, it's quite fascinating, um, but yeah, the the and it's funny because the the place got so out of hand, uh, the mafia got so strong in Havana that. Uh, uh, it was. It became a problem for the United States um, because you know anything that they couldn't do in Vegas or Atlantic City, they could do in Havana, and um, and because the mafia got so out of hand, the American government stopped funding the Bautista government, which actually allowed the Castro revolution to take over. So it's, it was actually it was actually a. a quite a fascinating thing of, of like, you know, one thing got out of hand, so they stopped helping one guy and then, you know, another guy came in. It's like, oh, the Soviets will help us. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but, you know, fascinating. And, of course, the people um, the people were fascinating. We got we got access to the top um, sitcom in Vivir del Cuento, which is uh, the biggest, the most famous, uh, the, the, the whole country just stops for this sitcom once a week. And it's a, it's a, it's basically four guys sitting around playing dominoes for all guys <laughs> bitching about, bitching about, you know, the fact that they can't get chicken this week or the yeah, fact right. that, you know, talking about baseball. Sort of yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> but in, but in actually, in actually, in actually, you know, criticizing the society and to they the can get away that, with it. They can get away with it because they've earned that spot. Yeah. Because Castro, Castro used to say that he, he actually got more information about what was happening in the street from watching that show, and he they used to have to you know send a videotape to to uh, to uh, to the government every week, and and then he, if he missed the show, and then he would actually tell the ministers to watch what these guys were talking about because he they were actually learn more about. Of course, you know the rest of the the rest of the of the television was propaganda, but these guys were actually talking about what, you know what everybody was talking about in um, uh, in the street and. Um, we finish off the documentary with basically the the, the coup d'etat, to use a, a, 
for not using a, a better term, uh, of that TV show, which is the fact that when Barack Obama went to Cuba, right, uh, they researched, you know, what was the best way to sort of reach the whole country, and he appeared in the sitcom, right? And, uh, you know, and that was one of the great talking points of, like, you know, uh, the lead <laughs> actor sort of gets a phone call. He gets a phone call from the White House, and he said, oh, you know, I want you to do something with, uh, with uh, President Obama. And he thought, oh, he's going to give a speech. I'm going to come out. I'm going to introduce him and, you know, and say, hey, now here's Barack Obama, you know, and, you know, and people are going to go crazy and that's my, my job. I no, no, he wants to go to your house in your show. And he's going, what? You know, and, uh, and sure enough, um, that's, uh, uh, that's what happened. And then, of course, you know, um, uh, Trump came in and the, and the doors were closed again and, and the ships stopped coming and, and, and so on. What can but, you, uh, fa- what, you know. sorry, I was wondering about, because um, I know in Cuba, I wonder one thing I remember about it, it was just music was everywhere in the streets and uh, the yeah. doors were open. Everybody's music's for everyone. And, you know, it's the, an amazing music, but I didn't see any comedy. So is, is stand up and that kind of thing, is that a, a newer art form or is it? It's huge. It has okay. been, it's been like that for, it's been like that for a long time. They talk about different times. I actually, I also interviewed a couple of uh, Cuban comedians in in Miami. Um, a couple of the a couple of the comedians in the documentary have now have now moved to Miami, um, and um, uh, they talk about what they can say and what they can't say. And they and one of the things they kept talking about is is you can you can criticize the government, but you can't make fun of the government, which is a an interesting point to make as to where that line is. I don't know. One thing I do know, and, and that has, has always stayed with me, is that we make a lot of fun of our politicians. And if you look at the last four years, it has made no difference whatsoever, really. When you, when you think of, what, I mean, politically, where America has been, where Australia has been, where England is, right, comedy has had no effect <laughs> on 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 the political scene whatsoever, you know. Uh, even though you know, um, you know, Trump would have like three tonight shows, tearing the hell out of him every night, uh, and yet, literally, you know, where where politically America has has been in the last four years, or England uh, and Brexit and Australia, and it's just it's just fascinating as to to me, it's really. It really, it really made me think about about what effect we have um, in the in the political scene. I think we have a, I think we have an effect in the social scene, right? Right. But, um, but I don't think I, I, I think considering how um, extreme some of the some of the political um, well, issues have become lately, you know. Well, I think part of that is due to what we're doing right now, which is the technology. And then anybody who would be moved by something like that has it has gone online. I mean, I know two of my good friends who I've known in comedy for thirty years now have political YouTube channels. The points they make on they couldn't do on stage, they just yeah. shifted it to online. So um, they've built followings, and uh, some of them appeared now on on actual news shows. And uh, so you do have an influence of, I mean, not in the comedy realm, though, even though if, if no. even if they say what they say, I mean, look, Rush Limbaugh was an old uh, DJ 
you know, these conservative, all these morning zoo DJs are now doing political stuff it, because you can find a niche audience that way. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and so, but it's moved online now, whether they're as funny as they used to be, uh, no, they're not. <laughs> it's more of a yeah. way to vent anger and find other people who feel the same way. But then, and then, yes. you, and then you can have a, you know, a Patreon page or whatever and charge people for it. <laughs> Which and they can and more importantly, they can go on the road and sell tickets, whereas uh, I cannot draw a crowd on the road and they can who will pay, you know, so um, you, you wonder how much of it's coming from the heart and how much of it is just trying to be sensational and draw a crowd or, you know, I don't know. But in terms of making a difference, yeah, from the comedy stage, it's not really. Happening as much. I mean, you can, and it's so splintered. People get their comedy from a million different ways. Yeah. Um. So anybody who gets overly political or or on stage or something is going to draw people who are looking for that anyway. Maybe. Mm. Um. There's no. See the thing, but the thing is, the thing is in America because America is so big, you can actually you can actually be a successful niche comedian. Yes. Whereas Australia, Australia, the whole country is a niche. Yeah. Because- new. Um, Yes, guys, yep. uh, American comics have gone over there. And, uh, you know, Arch Barker, I did Montreal with back in uh, I, did, 90- I did Madrid. I did Madrid with him. Yeah, 97. We <laughs> were both new faces yeah. in Montreal. Yeah. And Arch went there at a time when uh, I guess you know, he, but he kept going back. So the word on Australia, doing comedy in Australia was always, you know, some guys would go there and they have good, they do well, but they wouldn't come back. And guys like Arge and I think Eddie Ift and a couple other guys kept coming back and it was easy to build. And I guess they did that one show that was talk show that was like doing the Tonight Show. With the, was it Rove Live? Yeah. Or something. Yeah, yeah. They would do one yeah. appearance on that and then the entire country knew your name the next day. And there, then was, you could, there was a time there was there was a time in Australia where where if you had been doing comedy for a year and you hadn't done like three or four TV appearances, there was something wrong with you. Right, <laughs> um, but then, but then those live shows have have, have disappeared now. Yeah. Um, so now, so now he's actually yeah becoming an, an online comedian. Right. Which is oof. well, yeah. I mean, so none of the pubs have opened there. Uh, no, uh, actually, uh, friends of mine did their first comedy gig yesterday, last night. Okay. Um, and uh, but I think we're talking about like 15, 20 people, something like that. I'm so weary about that because I, I saw that happening in Spain all the way through the summer. They were doing like 50 people, 100 people. They were doing in uh, comedy gigs in, in bullfight rings where you can actually spread out uh, uh, 200 people on the on the arena. We're doing and, drive-in movie theaters here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, and and. Um, and they thought that sort of like you know, as the as the summer sort of would, uh, uh, you know, would sort of like dry out the virus, uh, and then of course um, the summer ended, and a bit of cold weather came in, and it just exploded again. Uh, so I don't know what. Uh, so that my my plan is actually to to go back to to go and spend a whole year in in uh, in Spain, uh, get a van over there, travel around Europe. Um, uh, audition for uh, you know things like uh, Netflix shows and stuff like that over there and probably, you know, end up doing some, um, some stand up, uh, some stand up in, uh, in Spain and in Paris. Um, I did some in Berlin as well. Um, 
Uh, but you know, it's sort of I don't know. I've got to I've got to be honest with this this COVID thing. I just got used to this thing of like staying at home and making bread, and you know, <laughs> I know. then it turned into then it turned into cheesecakes, and now I've got a dog, and so if I go somewhere, I've got to think about my dog, and and you know, and um, everything I, just sort of uh, has been. I got to say, being a, being a stand up. Being a stand-up and traveling alone, and, and uh, us being in tiny hotel rooms and ship cabins for so many oh. years has um, oh. has kind of I think it's trained us to uh, kind of handle this a lot better than people who are they forget not only their routine has been has been uh, completely thrown off, but they forgot how much going to work was a big part of their social life as well. There's a huge social oh, aspect. Is- of this going is an introvert's work. dream. Yes. This is an introvert's dream. I did fine. It's like all you people are freaking out. It's like living how I always live for the last 25 years. I mean, this is my, you're in my lane now, baby. Yeah. This is, I can handle this standing on my head. But it, yeah. I know, and I know if I'm getting restless, I know how uh, so many people are just freaking out. But yeah. Well, uh, before I we, to, I used to walk. I used to walk on stage and just look at that, you know, one thousand people and, and think, "You're the first people I've talked to today." <laughs> I know. I, I tell people, it's like I, I go whole days without speaking yeah. to another person. All the, the whole time. Yeah. This conversation with you is the longest I've had for uh, uh, quite a while. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I don't know if that's sad. Maybe it is sad. But anyway, oh. but I want to get you uh, before we leave. Uh, get your plugs in. Said where we can see Latigo, Latigo the movie. Uh, Latigo, Latigo is actually uh, uh, doing. Uh, if you if you uh, uh, Google it, uh, it'll tell you the different festivals around. Actually, it's actually been shown in, in quite a few festivals online around around the United States because it's wonderful. I mean, now basically, you know, what you do is you you make a documentary and you put it on you you put it on online and and all these uh, different um, uh, film festivals around the world basically say, yeah, we'll love to have you on. And it's actually been doing, been doing uh, really well. I'm very, very proud of it. Um, and uh, as far as performance, I don't know. I can't even, I, I wish I would say, hey, you know, I'm going to be near your town. I'm well, not, I don't no, know. Is, but is there yeah. like a, is there a website where people can go see your stuff? Uh, um, you can, I'm on, uh, I'm on YouTube, just uh, Simon Palomares, uh, uh, YouTube uh, on, uh, on, uh, on Facebook, uh, uh, Facebook as well. And, uh, you know, there are bits and pieces uh, that I've done uh, uh, around the place uh, uh, on, uh, on YouTube. And uh, I'm also just looking at um, where to from here, you know, because to me, the nine years I spent on the cruise ships has been such a definite block of my life, right? I have uh, loved doing it. I have uh, built up my life. I can say that I can sort of look at some sort of comfortable retirement. Uh, you know, well, I, you know, I have to, I, have, I, I teach. I, one of the things I did, I did while I was on ship is, is I actually studied an, an, an MBA in arts and entertainment management. And uh, one of the things uh, I, I love doing is actually teach artists how to, how to manage themselves financially. Um, so I've got no qualm to say that, that, you know, I thought very clearly, I mean, you got to understand that I was, I wrote one of the biggest hit shows in Australian history at the age of 27. I became a millionaire in 12 months and then lost it. <laughs> so it's like, I learned, you know, I had to, I had to learn some really big financial lessons very, very early on. And, um, uh, you know, it was, a, it was, you know, the, the whole rock and roll 
uh, uh, roller coaster. Um, so it, and then it got to a point where I, I decided that you know I needed the power to to know about you know finances and taking care of myself, and and then I, I got into a a boom industry that um, you know um, kept me kept me working comfortably for for years. I mean, you're gonna let's <laughs> this time last year I was opening up a window, right, and looking at that window and saying, "Oh, for heaven's sake, not freaking Venice again." <laughs> Those words came out of my mouth this time last year. Yeah. I was sick of Venice, right. <laughs> How can you get sick of Venice? <laughs> and um, uh, last year, and last year was actually, uh, as, as if, it's, if, you, if I'm going to make that sort of like a final thing, I'm, and I'm not sure what what is happening after this, but I went from Iceland, I went to Barcelona, I got caught in the riots in Barcelona, I was in a little um, uh, cellar bar doing comedy in English. When suddenly the the owner came in and 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 shut the place down and said, you know, the riots are starting up outside. If you want to leave, you have to leave now. If not, I'm going to bring down the, the steel roller door and we're going to be here for the next three hours. He did that. Everybody in the room stayed there. We continued to do comedy while you could hear the rubber bullets being <laughs> being shot outside. It was just the most bizarre experience, and yet the whole audience just stayed there laughing their heads off, you know, with this world ending outside. The week after that, I was in Israel where the ship had to get out of port fairly quickly because we, uh, uh, it was uh, uh, shelling going on. The, the Netanyahu was in a, at the opera theatre now where we were and, uh, and all of a sudden um, Palestinians started throwing up rockets. So we got out of there. And then a week after that, we were in New Zealand sailing past the volcano that killed 27 people when the volcano exploded with an excursion on it. Um, so, you know, it was certainly, this all happened within like like two months. Um, so it was like, it was like, Nobody follow me because I don't think uh, <laughs> I think I'm jinxed right now. So it was it was certainly an interesting uh, interesting time to um, uh, to uh, to to wrap up uh, wrap up wrap up things. But you know I'm not afraid. I'm looking forward to what's next. I don't know when ships are going to come in. Um, and uh, yeah, as long as um, we can sort of sit back and look at some of the amazing friendships that that we've made along the along the way, and uh, gee, I mean, it's been a really good, you know, it's been a really good time. Well, what I'll ask the question that I always ask people toward the end of the uh, interview, and what do you think all this travel around the world and all the places you've been, how has it changed you? as a person and how has it changed the way you look at the world and people in general? Um, it actually has reinforced what we talked about at the beginning of the show, which was my, my reason for doing everything, which is to find the, um, the similarities between people from different backgrounds and different cultures. Um, you know, and whether it's the, 
the Filipinos that we work with on the ships. And the thing is, I mean, I, for the first two, two, three years, I worked, I, you know, I was, I worked for a cruise line where I was considered more part of, part of the crew, uh, which is weird because by the end of the, the last three or four years, I've been working on very much the high-end level of ship where I've been treating as a guest and basically living a ridiculously, you know, high level of, uh, 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 of, of standard of, of, of living uh, and uh, being very treated very, very well. Um, so I think it sort of reinforced my resident debt that I started with, which is, which is it doesn't matter where you go, um, you know, people look at life and have the same existential questions that, that we all do where, where we are. And what's really weird about this year is that we are globally have sharing an experience that we will remember for forever. Yeah. Okay. I can tell, I can talk to you about what it's like to be in lockdown. I can talk to somebody in Spain and France and, and Finland and uh, Peru about what it's, what it is to, to be in, in lockdown. And we know exactly what we're doing. And years from now, when they do a, when they do a show or a film that's based in 2020, all you have to see is a street full of people wearing masks and you'll go, Oh, that was during COVID. Yeah. Unless you're in Wyoming and then you wouldn't know the difference. Sure. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, don't right. start me up with that again. Uh, I was just there. Don't get, don't start me. All right. Um, I appreciate you doing this. This is awesome. It's so good talking to you again, man. Yeah, you too. Yeah.